We're not going to read the scripture this morning. We're, I'm just going to read it to you guys. This is totally planned. Um, so, hey, if this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo, and I'm one of the pastors, and I get a chance to do a bulk of the preaching, and we'll do such this morning uh, as we kick off a new series. So if you have a Bible, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. Again, that's the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. We're going to be going through verses 11 through 19. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Don't be shy. Keep it raised really high, and then one of the ushers will walk down the aisle and get you a copy of God's Word. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we are handing out. It is our gift to you so that you can grow in an understanding and a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, just hold your place there in Luke chapter 7. So it's because this is still the beginning of the new year and I know there's some new people here, let me tell you a little bit about our church. We are Redemption Church. That's, we're one church, but we have multiple lo uh, locations or congregations, um, nine in total. Most of them are here in the valley. We have one in Flagstaff, and then we have one in Tucson. And so a phrase that you'll hear here is that we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. And what we mean by that is that we believe that through the cross and the resurrection, that God was doing something within history to establish his kingdom, and that in Christ he was seeking to renew and restore all of creation in the work and through the work of his son Jesus. And so we seek to make disciples in response to that truth, living our lives in every area of our life, trying to promote and live and word and deed of the gospel. So if you want to know more about redemption, how ways in which you can get connected, um, you can learn about more of who we are, the best thing that you can do is take the connect card that's in the seat back in front of you, uh, take some time, fill out that connect card, and you can drop it off in the offering boxes, which are located in the back by the doors, or you can drop it off at the connect desk, and we'd love to get back to you and answer those questions or any prayer requests that you may have. Okay, so for the next 14, I think 15 weeks, all the way leading up to Easter, we are starting a series called Love Walked Among Us. And um, the series in itself, or the title, is taken from the title of a book that many of you probably saw on the way in. Um, it's a book by Paul Miller. Um, he and a group of people do a ministry called See Jesus, and it's training leaders of which we've been a part of on how to see Jesus slowly and how he lives his life and how we can reflect that love. And so the book is not necessarily going along with the series. However, we will teach some of the stories that are in the Bible throughout the gospel. But we do believe that the book in itself is a good supplement to what we'll be doing here as we gather together. So they're on sale, $10 out there. I think they're like on sale for like 13, 14 bucks on Amazon. So get those before the evening service gets them, make them pay more. So um, you guys can you, can, you can do that as well. Um, so here, here's, here's just kind of the layout of this, of this series. It's the best way for me to think about it is this way. Here's, here's what happens to us, or at least to me. I drive in my neighborhood, I drive out of my neighborhood. I have noticed over the last six months, um, we take more walks around our neighborhood, you start to notice things. So one particular, about eight houses around the corner from us, there's a group of uh, like just post-college girls that live there. So I'm walking, and this girl says to me, hey, Ricardo. And I, and I said, oh, hey, and I knew her. I, she was a girl that used to be in my high school ministry when I was a pa high school pastor years ago. And I said, wow, did you just move in? She goes, I've been living here for like 18 months. And I'm like, yeah, I know that, because I love my neighbor. Uh, so she's there, like, seriously, same day, I keep walking, and I turn over here to, on this street, and I see a friend of mine who's also a pastor here in Tempe at a different church, and he's out there, like, shooting hoops with his son, and I'm like, yo, what are you, what are you doing? And he goes, shooting hoops with my son, I said, I can see that. You live here? He goes, yeah, I've lived here for three years. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> right? I know that, because I'm loving my neighbor, right? And, and there's this sense of going, it's not that just by taking a walk, those things appear, those people appear. No, um, they've already been there. It's just when we're able to slow down, we're able to notice things that are already there. 
I think what we want to do in our series is to be able to slow down and look at the life of Jesus. I think oftentimes we fly by the life of Christ as we read through the scriptures, as we're in church, as we're in small groups, as we're with our friends, and we notice the macro, but we don't see the micro. We see the cross as we should, and we see the resurrection. We don't see Jesus slowly walking and loving. So in essence, we will celebrate the miracles, but we don't see the emotion that inspired the miracle to take place in the first place. And so what we want to be able to do is say, let's slow down and look at the things of Christ and the ways of Christ as love is put on display among us. We, we often say the phrase that when you look at Jesus, we begin to see that God is like Jesus. And because that's true, that means Jesus is like God. And the way that we're going to know the Father and to know his love is to look at his son and to look at the ways in which he lived his life and to look at the way in which he displayed and he showed love. And when we're able to do that, we can see his perception. We can see his emotion. We can see the glory of God put on display. And in doing such, we can see the tangible ways in which Jesus loved. And then when we receive the love of Christ, how we can mimic, how we can imitate that love to the people around us. When you begin to slow down and you look at the life of Jesus, at least it's been for me in preparation for this sermon, is one, you're drawn into the life of God. You are drawn into the life of God to participate in and with him. But it also creates this reality that we can't find the power to live and love like Jesus inside of ourselves, but it has to come from the outside and our need for the filling and the constant filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So our goal as we teach this over the next several weeks is that it, this would be far less about our head and more about our hearts. And so if you think about it, as we look to Christ, far less about duties and what we can do and more about our desire and devotion. And then even more importantly, far less of our aptitude, now what we can go do, and more about our affections being set rightly on the person of Christ. And so when we think about this, it's very devotional to see Jesus as he is, as he's presented through the Gospels, that we may follow our Lord and our Savior. Amen? All right, well, let's pray, and we're going to jump right in. Father, we thank you for the great grace in which you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit in whom is present with us now. God, I take those, Lord, who are here, first time visiting, that know you, God, that you would, you would just set your saving love upon them. Those who are here, God, that have never seen, trusted, and followed Jesus, that you'd reveal yourself by the Spirit in ways that they couldn't imagine. And for many of us, Lord, there's in between, Lord. We know you. We trust you. God, I pray that you would slow us down to be able to see you afresh, to see the ways of Jesus and be drawn into your life, and that it would reflect in the way in which we love people in the most mundane ways, God. God, we praise you. God, we thank you. We ask that you would guide us over these next several weeks leading into Easter and we could celebrate the death and resurrection of your son. God, we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain. And the disciples and a great crowd went with him. And he drew near to the gate of the town. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said, Do not weep. And then he came up and he touched the bier, and the bearer stood still and said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother, and fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all of the surrounding 
country. So, okay, we got to step back and look at the context of this story. So what we see is there's a few people we can look in, we can look to. And the whole purpose of the series is to zoom in on Jesus. But to understand the story, there's a few people we can zoom in on. Uh, one, we see there's Jesus, obvious. There's a widow. There's her son who's dead. And then there's the crowds. There's the crowds of the funeral procession, and then there's the crowds of Jesus. Um, this is happening in a city called Nain. And so Nain, what we know about Nain, the city, is the city in itself was about 300 to 500 people. So a smaller city. Um, it's like the suburbs of like the great city of Fargo, North Dakota, right? And so like a small town like that. Um, what we have is the story just previous is Jesus had done a miracle, and he left that place, and now he's on his way to Nain. Um, and Jesus has a crowd with him, and they're following. This crowd that's with him is huge. There's like 1,000 to 2,000 people in his crowd because when it says that he had a large crowd, every other time in the Gospels when it says that, it's about 1,000 to 2,000 people. The crowd of the funeral procession, it says a considerable crowd, about three to 400. You say, well, isn't that the size of the city? It was expected that everybody in the city would be a part of the funeral. They would be heading east because what we know about funerals of that day is that the, the cemetery was outside of the city to the east, and it was about 6 p.m. because they would have funeral service later in the evening. And so they're heading east outside the gate, and then Jesus is heading, heading west. And so they, they, they have this interaction where they can see each other. And so that's the particular context that we have here of people, crowds, and particularly Jesus, the woman, the man who's dead in this moment. And so... What, what, one of the things is when you think about a funeral procession, think about in our day, right? If you're driving down Rule and there's going to be a funeral at the Catholic Church right there on Rule and Broadway and there's a procession and you're going the opposite way, what you'll see is probably there's going to be police officers and so forth and cars and a hearse and so forth. And you stop and you pull over and you allow all the procession to go by. So I think something similar to that, but everybody's on feet. Right? And, and you think about first century funerals, um, what you would have is you would have the crowd that was like everybody in the city that was there, and, and, and maybe they're singing, I don't know, meet me at the crossroads. And so they're there, and then in front of them, you, have, you would have the bearers, and they're, they're carrying, as it says, the beer. Not that type of beer, right? And so it would have been like their casket, and so they're carrying this, and there would be a few of them so that they could take turns to carry this body. And then this casket would have been like a wooden um, slat of wood, and the body would have been on top of it for all to be able to see. Now, in front of them would have been the women, and the women preceded this because in Hebrew culture, as it was thought, as you read through the scripture, is that since Eve sinned first, that death came into the world through a woman, and so the women had to be in the, in the front. And then you would have this widow, and the widow would be there, and you would be able to notice her, oftentimes because she would be dressed a certain way, right? We, my wife and I were having dinner with a couple here from the church, and they're telling us a story, and, and one of the, the woman was telling us, our friend, that growing up in Egypt, she lost her dad at a young age, and her mom was a widow, and there was certain clothing that they had to wear that people would know that's a widow. And when they had the opportunity through lottery selection or whatnot to be able to leave Egypt and move to Canada, that the, one of the things her family members did for her was like, we got to get you some new clothes, girl, and so that you now can wear these different colors. And so even now in our culture, in different, excuse me, even in certain cultures, there's certain things that widows would wear. Now, in our kind of modern-day funerals, people, when it comes to emotion or tears, we try to keep it in, like we'll cry a little bit, but you, you, you keep it in, like you don't just come undone. 
In fact, oftentimes it's really awkward if you see the person run up to the casket and scream and yell and cry. Like it makes everybody kind of feels a little bit uncomfortable. Not so much in first century uh, time with the Hebrews. Like they would wail and weep. Believe it or not, they would hire professional weepers, professional criers, right? Some of us, we have children, we're like, listen, we know what you could do when you get older, right? The signs are there. You are good at this, right? This is a calling. We can do an all-of-life interview with you on how good you are at crying. So you have people who were paid to this. And so that is the scene that's happening here as Jesus is entering in. And now, mind you, you got a crowd of 300 to 400. They're walking out. And then you got the crowd of Jesus, 1,000 to 2,000. They're walking in. Jesus easily could have said, let's step aside. Let's allow them to go by. Man, this is all bad. I'm sorry for this woman. I'm sorry for her loss. And then move on to doing what he was doing. But he didn't. That's not what he did at all. He notices this woman. And we know how difficult it is to, to notice people in a crowd. In fact, there's probably roughly 512 people here right now, right? Um, and by the way, we apologize. We couldn't park on the grass today. So anyways, um, so you have, you have, you might talk to someone you know, and it's like, hey, did you go to church today? Yeah, I, get, I went to church today. Yeah, it was, it was amazing today. <laughs> and, and well, what service did you go to? I went to the eleven. Oh, I was at the 11. I didn't see you. It's because there's a lot of people. You may not see people that you know here. So imagine a crowd of about 2,500 people. To be able to zero in on somebody, like, that would mean something. To be able to notice somebody would be able to, like, like that would be a big deal. So this last November, uh, for um, my wife and I's birthdays are like 20 days apart. She's older than me, but um, <laughs> by 20 days. And so we, we, uh, we decided to go to Georgia to go watch a college football game. Normally, I'm not really in the football, but I thought, okay, Holly, if this is what you want to do, because <laughs> I'm your husband, goodness, you're older than me, uh, is, so we went to, to, uh, to go watch the University of Georgia football game, and we stayed in Atlanta, and we were, were going to take a bus down to Athens, which is about the equivalent from Tempe to Tucson, and we get there, and there's just, I mean, one, the experience of football in the South is unlike anywhere else. There's like Jesus, football, right? And so we, we, we're there. And one of the things that Holly, like, Holly and I like to do is like the whole doppelganger thing. Like, oh, you know, look at that person. That looks like a combination of this person and this person. You're like, oh, I can see, especially the nose, huh? Right? We love doing that. We're walking in 80,000 people onto this campus to get to this stadium. And side note, I grew up with a really good friend by the name of Ryan. Best friend. Not just a really good friend, best friend. When stuff was hitting the fan at my house, I would stay at Ryan's house. Like, this was like my second brother. His dad was like my second dad. In a lot of ways, it was like my first dad. Love the dude. Best man at my wedding. We have not been able to hang out, and he's gone through a lot of stuff in his life over the last seven years. Um, one, because the only way to see him would be to go back to California over the weekend, and our weekends are usually slammed, and I work on Sundays. By the way, spending time with some of my favorite people in the world. Um, and so walking in the stadium in Georgia, at the University of Georgia, 80,000 people, my wife goes, the guy next to you, totally Ryan Tolan. Looks just like him. I look over, it's Ryan Tolan, right? I push him, I'm like, yo, right? He looks at me and he sees me and he starts saying like all of these words that I would never say because I'm saved. And, and, and just, we're just like hugging each other, chest bumping, I mean like punching each, you know, just like, like we're nine again, like what are you doing here? Our wives are sitting there, they get kind of what's happening, 
they're embarrassed, but they get kind of what's happening. And the people around us are like, eh, like, wow, what is going on here? We're, we're, we're excited because we haven't seen each other. Here's the deal. Um, what the people can see, what our wives can see, and what people can see, there's actually even more something deeper that we know because of the connection. One, I know this. Um, just a few years ago, sadly, he lost one of his daughters. And then his next daughter had been in the hospital for about 20 days. And, and recently, and I, and I always tell him I'm praying for you. He doesn't like when I pray for him because he doesn't believe in God. But I can pray for him without telling him. Still works. And so, <laughs> so I'm like, dude, man, uh, like, this is crazy. I said, how's Caitlin? He goes, man, she's fine. They figured out what was wrong with her. And we just said, we're going to get out of here. We're, you know, and I said, well, why'd you guys choose this game? It was the same reason we did it. Like, we want to go to a game in the South. We've never been. We're going to fly to Atlanta. We'll stay in Atlanta, drive down to the game. I'm like, where are you guys staying at? The hotel they were staying at was right across the street from us. It was just like this moment. Like, both of us were in tears. Like, this is my dude, right? And it was just this moment. 80,000 people, we lock in. Everybody experiences it, but there's still something deeper. Jesus is walking. He sees this woman. He sees more than just a woman who's suffering. He sees something far deeper that we don't normally see. Um, Jesus understands um, how to love in ways that we don't, and we need the Holy Spirit to be able to love that way. In fact, as we zero in on Jesus, there's a progression that he has of love here that we need to see. One is the first step is he sees. And then seeing, he feels. And there's an emotion. There's the emotion of God in Jesus. And then from there, he speaks. And then, because compassion always does something, he acts. And so he sees, he feels, he speaks, and then he acts. Go back to Luke chapter 7 here. Um, verse 13. It says, and the Lord saw her. He saw her. And then just like, and the Lord flew by, said, I'm going to heal you. And it was like a fly-by healing, right? No, 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 no. He saw her. You had to imagine. He's seeing all of these people, and he's seeing the son who's dead. He's seeing the people who are weeping. And he sees the woman. And he stops whatever it is he's about to do, right? And he notices her. Here's what he notices. If you read the story, that she is a widow, and her son has died. In that day, if you were a woman, you needed a man. Like, you needed a man, a good man, a mighty, mighty good man, right? It wasn't like today. Like, she, she wasn't no INDP, like, none of that, right? She didn't have that. It, was, it wasn't like that. You, if you were, when you were a little girl, you were dependent upon your daddy. And then your daddy would go find a good young man for you to marry. And then you get married, and then you're dependent upon that dude. And then if you had kids, you would really, really want to have sons, Especially in Hebrew culture. In fact, if a woman were to, in Hebrew culture, to have seven sons, she was looked as that woman. Like, people would look at, like, man, she's got it going on, right? So that, like, that was it. So if your husband was to die, as sad as that would be, you would have your son, especially your grown son, to be able to take care of you. What Jesus sees is this woman is not only suffering, this woman is about to be poor. She's driven into poverty. She doesn't have a husband. Now she doesn't have a son. And so she, he sees more than just the suffering. He sees what is to come from this. And when, when, he, when you slow down and you look at people and you see people, you're drawn to them in, in ways that you can't even imagine. Jesus, it says here in verse 13, continue, that he sees her. And then the next thing it says is he has compassion on her. Right? That's a feeling. So he sees her, 
and then he feels some type of way for her. And, and he sees the situation. He sees her. He's on his way, and he's like, wait a minute. Let's, let's pause for a second. I see this woman, and it says that he feels for her. There's this, this compassion. Now, before we begin to talk about compassion, we got to do something here, and that is, one, if you're like me, we use the word sympathy, empathy, and compassion synonymously. One, because we're not really sure what they all really, really mean. Um, and so, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this. So one of the things we like to do when we watch family or shows as a family, usually either we watch a cooking show, because that's when I get to choose. I love, I can't cook, but I love watching the competition of the cooking show. I love to eat. And so we'll watch that. The boys hate it, but we watch it. Or when we let the boys pick, they pick, and I, I can't remember the title of it. It's, it's like an ultimate American Ninja Warrior world disaster something, right? And it's like American Ninja Warrior, but like the whole world's participating. And it's like these obstacle courses and everything. It's what is going to lead all of our kids straight to the hospital, right? And so we're watching that, and it's me and the boys and Holly, we're watching it, and there's this guy from Mexico, and he's swinging from the different poles, right? Is he gonna make it, is he gonna make it? And he goes to the next one, bam! His shoulder pops out of socket. As a pastor, that's when you know the illustration hit. When you, got, when you respond like that, I hey, that was perfect, right? That one down, right? It's, <laughs> that worked. <laughs> so we're looking at this, right? So first, my kids see it, and they're like, oh, my gosh. Like, he's in pain. So they notice he's in pain. They understand, and they're aware of his suffering. If they were to write a card, they would write a sympathy card. That would be sympathy. Like, I don't feel it, but I, I, I notice, and I'm aware of your suffering. Sympathy. Sympathy. Empathy goes a little further. My wife and I, between the two of us, have had five shoulder surgeries. We've experienced this. And even if we had an experience, as we watch it, we have the same response you guys had, a very visceral response. And even more so when the doctor came over and popped it back in. And there's a sense of going, oh my gosh, I feel for this dude. When I feel that he can't, he can't finish this, this deal, he's going to be out for a while. Like I, feel, like I feel for him. That would be empathy. Now, compassion takes it even further. Because compassion is, I notice and I, I'm aware of your suffering, sympathy, I feel the pain that you're going through, empathy, but then I also have the desire to alleviate the suffering. I'm going to do something. So compassion goes even deeper there. That when you think of the word compassion, it literally means to suffer with. Jesus sees this woman. He sees the funeral procession. He doesn't just say, man, that's all bad. He knows I'm about to jump into this all bad because he's totally okay with it. We are not okay with people suffering. We want it to go by really fast. We want to say, I hope it goes away and so forth. But to actually get in it with somebody else means it's going to get on us. And we're awkward. We don't know how to watch people come undone and weep. We don't know what to do. We, we, we try to get out of it or say something funny. We just can't sit there and say, I'm going to join with you in your suffering with the hope to be able to alleviate it. But see, Jesus is comfortable with being uncomfortable. And if we're going to love like Christ, we got to be able to be in the position to be able to see and feel in such a way that we could be comfortable with being uncomfortable when people are suffering. Jesus looks at the crowd and is like, no, 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 no. Right here. It's this mother and it's this woman that I'm moving towards. So he sees. There's a feeling, and the feeling is compassion. And then he speaks. Um, continuing here in chapter 7. Verse 13, he says, he has compassion on her, and he says, do not weep. 
And that's kind of weird for us to hear because especially in our day, we're so sensitive with our feelings, right, that to tell someone not to cry would be like, how dare you tell someone not to cry? That's inappropriate. You are affecting the process of their emotional well-being. They're going to be in counseling one day. I'm like, listen, they're going to be in counseling no matter what. This world's all jacked. So, right, there are appropriate times in which you say, hey, like, you don't need to cry. It's going to be okay because you know it's going to be okay. We are at a soccer game yesterday. My little son's playing soccer. The boy kicked the, kicked the ball, and he jumped in front of it, hit him right in the stomach. Thought it hit him somewhere else at first, but it hit him right in the stomach. He barrels over, he goes, oh, and he's like screaming. I'm like, hey, buddy, hey, Eli, it's, it, it's going to be all right, because you know it's going to go away. Now, I'm not a doctor, right? Um, there's been moments where I've thought it was all right, and it wasn't. Um, <laughs> I thought he was pretending, because he likes to get attention. He had an ankle injury one time. I'm like, dude, you're fine, you're fine. A week later, you're fine. Next you know, he was in a boot. All right, I missed on that one, right? But in this case, like, it won't hurt for a while. It's not going to hurt forever. No, Jesus looks at her and he says, don't weep. He's not saying it's inappropriate to cry, right? In fact, we see in another story of the Gospels when his friend Lazarus is dead, he walks into the room knowing that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. What does he do? He weeps. He is saying to her, speaking, like, in this essence, I'm about to do something. Like, this whole situation... Like, like these, this crowd that's crying, the weepers that are crying, your situation that looks like it's about to be bleak, I'm about to turn this thing around. So, so, so don't, don't, don't weep. So he speaks to her, and then once he speaks, he, he, he begins to act. He begins to do something. Verse 14. Then he came up and he touched the bier, and the bearers stood still, and, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all of the surrounding country. People look at this and they go, um, We raised him from the dead, and fear seized them all. It's like, Why are they afraid? Because he was dead, and all of a sudden he's just like, I'm good. Right? You would all, all of us would be freaked out a little bit, right? And so Jesus sees, he feels, he speaks, and then he does something. He looks at the woman, goes to the son and says, young man, arise. He comes from the dead. Like, that's a big deal, right? That's a huge, in fact, when you, when you look at this story, in fact, probably in your Bible, there's a title that's above it. And usually these are the titles of the people who interpret it. This is not necessarily the Bible. This one says, Jesus raises a widow's son. Because you look at this story, and we look, at the, we look primarily at the miracle, because it's amazing. This man was dead, and Jesus raised him back to life. But the story is actually not about primarily him raising the son. The story is about how he loves this woman. Like, the whole thing is that Jesus notices her in the crowd. Jesus sees her. He feels some type of way for her. And then when he raises her from the dead, everybody's freaked out, as they should be, because the dude was dead, and now he's alive. The professional criers are like, do we still get paid that he's dead now? I mean, like, that he's like, like, they're, they're trying to figure things out themselves. We put in a amount of hours, you know, the contract said, yeah, this is an hourly wage. Though amazing, do we get that money? Like, this, this, this picture, this scene has everything to do with Jesus loving the woman. So the question comes up, like, okay, well, he raises the kid, or the man, to life, and then it says that he brings the child, the son, to the mother. And like, like it says here, it's a man. So don't think like a little kid. So when Jesus goes and lifts up this grown, 
man <laughs> takes this man to his mother. Like, you know, why? That just seems unnecessary. You know why? Slow down for a second. It's because the mother is more important than the miracle. You hear me? The miracle happened because of his love for the mother. As a Hollywood, entertainment, driven people, we love the big, and Jesus is totally okay with the mundane. Like, we are so impressed, as we should be, with the miracle, and Jesus is in love with the mother. Like, I, I, I did this because for her, to change her whole circumstance, because he loves her. Right? Like, like, when you begin to think about the love of Jesus, it is he draws near. He's speaking to her face to face. There's, there's a thousand or plus people around, and he's going around going, wait, wait, wait. He says he touches his stop, stop this whole thing, and he looks at her, and he understands the situation. He looks at her son and says, let me do something for you that nobody else can do because I'm going to alleviate your suffering, your pain for this moment because that's the very thing in which Jesus came in this world to do. And so when we say, well, how do we, how do we love it starts with slowing down and seeing and actually being aware of what happens when we see things. It's being truly human and allowing the emotions that we have in our bodies to take them place to the point that it moves us to speaking and being able to do something. And hear me, and I'm not trying to say this to be funny. Like, this is not like, okay, let's throw a bracelet on and say, whatever would Jesus do, let's go do that. No, 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 no. This is, we need to allow ourselves to receive and see the love of God for us so that we may be able to imitate and reciprocate that love to the people around us. Because when you see the picture of the gospel is that God does the same thing that he does for this woman in the bigger sense to the rest of the world and to you and to me is that when God looks at the world, he sees the need and he sees what sin has done into this world and how it's been broken. And not only just this world, but we have been broken. And that he himself feels a type of way. And that is a compassionate way towards us in mercy. And so he moves in and he moves in such a way to alleviate the pain and the suffering and the sin and the brokenness in our lives. And he does so in Jesus as he moves and acts all the way to the cross and dies on the cross. And in the same way that Jesus in raising the life of his son gives life to this woman, that God the Father raises the life of his dead son in Christ and that he may be raised to new life and in doing so give life to us, who, by the way, were spiritually bankrupt and poor and in poverty and had no means to make our lives new. But he does for us what we could never do for ourselves because he loves us. When we begin to see the gospel for what it is in the person of Christ, now we receive that by faith. And in doing so, now we can now respond to the life of Christ by loving those around us. Jesus didn't do the same thing for everybody. Right? This is not every single person. I'm, you can't do that. You have to acknowledge your limits. Like Jesus couldn't and didn't do it. Like he could have. He was God, but he didn't. But he did it for this woman. One, one pastor says it this way. Do for one what you wish you can do for everyone. And then maybe do it for two or maybe for three. First, we have to slow down and say, who are the people around me that I'm not even noticing, that I don't even see? And then let me be able to feel in such a way that I may be able to speak and I may be able to do and act in a way that begins to display the love of Jesus. Not for their response, but because I'm responding to the love of Jesus. Right? If we do it for the people's response where they can say, oh, look how loving you are. Okay, we've missed it. Right? Because here's what's going to happen. We're going to try to do it 
we're not going to be good at it, right? We're going to try to go love someone. We're going to see their situation. We're going to feel a certain way. We're going to say something. They're going to be like, why'd you say that? I, I don't I don't I was just in the sermon, and the pastor was, yeah, never mind. I'm sorry. Right? It's just going to get awkward. It always is when it's suffering is involved. It's always awkward. It's always difficult. But I think in those moments is where we begin to kneel down and be closer and nearer to the person and the presence of Jesus as we see and experience him even in the life of others. So for the next several weeks as we look at this series, it's looking at the love of Christ, that sort of love of Jesus that he has for us, that we can look at his love and by grace begin to imitate that love to the rest of the world around us. Amen? Just close your Bibles. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you just absolutely love us. And we're amazed, Lord, by just the subtle ways in which we miss because we fly by it that you see and that you maneuver a way to draw near to one person that you may change her life. Lord, you didn't do it the way that we would do it, Lord. There would have been a book after that. There would have been so much, Lord, to promote it. But you did it because you loved her. And you do it in our lives because you love us. Help us to receive your saving love. And may that love permeate and change our lives by the power of your spirit that we may love others. We thank you, Lord, that you have allowed witnesses to see and to write and your spirit to preserve the work that you've done in this world that we may see Jesus and know him and follow him. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. We get, we get an opportunity to respond to God's word as we do every week, and in just a moment, uh, one of the guys will come lead us in a time of response. But before that, um, just take a moment, a minute or so, and just sit in silence, and let's use our imaginations to imagine how God is loving us, and also to imagine what does it look like for us to take that love and love the people who are near to us and around us. There's something as simple as that is going, how God has loved us, and how can we love the people around us? And again, in just a moment, one of the guys will come lead us in a time of response.